Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Everybody, thanks for uh, joining in for the second broadcast of Conspiranormal. This is your host Adam Sane, and I'm Luke Reed. Yes, and uh, tonight we are starting out the bat with a very special guest, our inaugural guest on Conspiranormal. This is someone that has been a mentor to me, and has really held my feet to the fire as far as getting this uh, podcast started. And uh, that is the great Dr. Future, who just finished a 300-show run of his show, Future Quake. We'd like to welcome you to Conspiranormal, Dr. Future. It is wonderful and a pleasure to be on Conspiranormal. And it's a privilege to be here in the Precambrian days of the show. It's just exciting where things are going to go. And hopefully I don't mess it up too much and get you off on a bad start. Well, I was wondering why there are so many trilobites running around. Yeah, well, this this is the, the primitive days where there'll be cave drawings of this part of Conspiranormal. So, uh, but this is the this is the fun time. So I'm looking forward to having a good time tonight. I'd say you pretty much know what you're doing already. We're the ones that have to catch up. Well, yeah. just wait till after this show's over. You might reconsider that thought. Doctor Future, could, uh, first of all, to ask, um, could you tell us about yourself and your background and uh, what you do, and uh, a little bit about what future quake was and uh and what it meant sure sure um my background i'm very much 
uh, average kind of guy. I grew up in middle America, raised in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, always sort of half left brain, half right brain. Always had a lot of creative interest. Used to draw comic books when I was in high school. Uh, thought I was going to go into art and then into drama. And uh, somewhere around late junior high, early senior high, I finally had a good math teacher, a fellow by the name of Robert Hyde, who actually had a pivotal role later in Future Quake, and really spun me in the direction of that side of the brain. And I suddenly realized that that actually was a little bit more lucrative uh, uh, side of things uh, to pursue vocationally. So uh, it led me to pursue a career in engineering and uh, got my uh, bachelor's and master's in engineering from the University of Louisville. And I uh, got my doctorate about a decade after that. I went up and began that at the University of Dayton in Dayton, Ohio, and uh, in mechanical engineering. And uh, for 16 years, I worked for the dreaded military-industrial complex <laughs> at the military labs at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. And I would actually shoot up airplanes and blow them up, catch them on fire, and take uh, Russian rounds and shoot them. And then I would design technologies to stop them from exploding and catching on fire. That's pretty and, uh, yeah, that was my job in survivability and uh, got a chance to go around the world and see a lot of different things around the world. And uh, just a very intense period of time. And, uh, but that, nothing lasts forever like that. And after about 16 years, I finished my Ph.D. And uh, the missus said she wanted to move closer down south where her family was. So we ended up in Nashville, Tennessee, and I hung out a shingle and uh, uh, was consulting for the government and other private clients and fire protection technology and invented some of my own stuff and uh, sold it to some companies and got it fielded on police cars and NASCAR cars and on Humvees and military vehicles. And, and that's sort of what's uh, financially taken care of us. Uh, and I don't know if you want me to get into the future quick experience. You want me to jump right into that? Sure. Uh, in 2005, actually late 2004, there was a notice in the Nashville newspaper shortly after we moved here. And there was this little brief window when we were actually getting the newspaper. And uh, I got it, and I saw a little notice in the back saying they were starting a new community radio station called Radio Free Nashville. And they were looking for one-page proposals of topics. <clears throat> and uh, I had no background in radio whatsoever, uh, but, of course, that's never stopped me from doing anything else. I, I uh, have produced three feature-length movies. Uh, one of them I think you had the misfortune of setting through, Adam. I did and, get to see uh, <laughs> the wonderful nightmare on Neptune. Yes. Uh, Space unfor- Nazis. Un- unforgettable movie. And uh, uh had my own racing team. I actually built stock cars and raced and things. So this this was no exception to look at getting into radio. And that's what makes life fun is doing stuff that you have no business doing. And so I put in, on a whim, I just put in a proposal because um, back when I was young, this is way before the Internet or podcast or anything like that you could listen to whenever you wanted uh, I used to stay up in the wee hours of night as a little kid at 2.30 at night and sneak a radio underneath my covers and listen to a, a talk show down in Louisville that just had the, sort of the craziest people. It was it was like what Coast to Coast became uh, later on with Art Bell. And I always thought that would have been such a neat career would be to do something like that. So when this opportunity came, uh, I just thought, well, that would be really cool if something like that worked out, but I'm sure it won't. And I didn't hear from them. Uh, for about six months, and when I called up to just find out what happened to the station, they told me they'd accepted the proposal for Future Quake. And, and really what I was thinking about doing was reinventing myself uh, as a Futurian, uh, or, uh, you know, a futurist, actually, a futur- futurist that uh, looks and analyzes what's going to happen in the future. Um, 
people like Alvin Toffler and people like that are well-known futurists in society. thought this was a way I could uh, get, my, get my foot in the door in that. And I started on air with this little station. It was pretty much run by hippies. And, uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, literally. Uh, and uh, they were a fascinating group of people to be around. This little tiny studio up in the woods outside of Nashville. And uh, barely any signal. But it got Future Quake on the map. And had some amazing folks that came on our show. And after about three years, we had a real popular show. But a lot of the stuff got talking more on spiritual issues and stuff like that. And it made some of the folks there a little nervous uh, compared to what they normally would have at the station. So we could sort of feel the the jest to move on. So we actually, of all things, ended up at a very conventional Christian radio station that took our very, very unconventional show and put it on miraculously every day at 4 o'clock. And so that was sort of a golden age of Future Quake. For about three years, we were on local radio every day at 4 o'clock. Uh, but uh, eventually they sold the station, and so all that stuff was off the air. And so we already had about thirty, thirty-five thousand 35,000 listeners uh, internationally on, on the Quake, so we just kept on doing it over the Internet until uh, about two months ago, uh, a little less than that, actually, when... Uh, we reached our seven-year point, and I had had 300 weekly shows, and uh, figured we had covered most of the main things uh, that I felt like called to cover at the time, and it sort of switched gears into some new directions. Yeah, I had the privilege of sitting in on the very last Future Quake. Yes, you were, and it was an extravaganza. Six-hour experience. Yeah, six and a half hour, I think. Uh, folks, folks can check it out at uh, futurequake.com. Just look under the past shows tab, and you'll... Uh, You'll hear a motley rogues gallery of guests that was in there. We had a room full, and uh, Adam was certainly one of them. And uh, I felt like I was passing the baton. Uh, and now this is your leg of the race uh, here in Conspiranormal, you and Luke. And so it's exciting for me. I try to catch my second second breath and watch what you all do with it. So it's neat to be here to see it. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's good to have you. And let me ask you the uh, next question. Uh, about um, kind of um, your development of, of, of your attitudes and how they change. You, you've, you and I have talked many times, and you've told me that uh, you were real, um, you know, you grew up staunchly conservative. Uh, you were real supportive of the Iraq War when it started. And kind of through doing Future Quake and I believe some exposure um, to your mentor, Robert Hyde, that you began to change a lot of your attitudes towards um, issues like 9-11 and those, those type of things. Did you go into a little bit of that? Sure. You know, I was raised in an environment that was very conservative, uh, you know, Southern Baptist, evangelical. My mom and dad were never really big-time political people, so it wasn't a big push at home. But it was just sort of a natural kind of thing. The culture was pretty much uh, very very traditional, religious, and, and that whole conservative thing just typically went right along with it. And uh, plus, I became a prophecy buff after reading the late great Planet Earth uh, back in '76, I think. And so, there's, a, there's sort of a whole geopolitical worldview that comes with that. And uh, I was not in a military environment growing up, but when I went to go work at a military base and actually went to a church next door to it, uh, that further cemented this whole thing about you know might makes right and. America and its military might is, you know, God's reach on earth and stuff. And not like I articulated it that way as such. It just sort of was a subconscious kind of thing you presumed. 
and anybody stood in the way of that you were you know afraid of it of course being on a military base too and it's like you know when you're a hammer everything looks like a nail so if you've got all these military tools sitting around well that's how you fix problems in the world uh don't even stop to think if you're the one making them or maybe you need to stop doing something to fix it but just uh you know it, it's sort of like the medical world with nutrition you know there's a lot of stuff in our bodies we could fix if we just quit mistreating it or we can just overwhelm it with like really powerful medicines and still keep doing bad things to our body and overwhelming it and that's that's sort of why i think america has done uh through its time is to get itself out of its messes with its bombs and uh i didn't realize that until i got into future quake and in fact if you go back and almost all of our archive shows or all of our shows we've ever done are in our archives at futurequake.com if you go back to the earliest ones you can hear that I'm much more supportive of American authoritarian kind of issues, uh, relatively speaking, and the guests that we have on. But over time, I started hearing more dissenting voices that sort of haunted me, that I couldn't get out of my head. And they really weren't ones that made me a liberal, per se, because even the radio station people were were were, were more liberal types, but they, they weren't your limousine liberals. They were They were really hardcore activists for the well-being of other people. But as I started finding out more about our country and its history, the stuff I never learned and never uh, saw in the history books that I had uh, about things that we were doing that wreaked havoc with people around the world and uh, things that I mean nobody could ever really justify with a straight face and say we were a Christian country when you see the legacy we have with other people and even sometimes our own citizens. And uh, this this process of doing the show, I consider it almost like getting an education because as I started having guest after guest every week, I was gravitating toward ones that were sort of shaking my worldview that had credibility. And uh, it just chinked away the armor and then started having questions about 911. And, uh, you know, all this time got introduced to stuff like Alex Jones and some <laughs> other Dr. Stan Monteith and then Radio Liberty. And started finding another view of things. And late, well, I'll I tell you another thing, too. In summer of 2005, I went to the, one of the most unique conferences I've ever been to. It was called the Ancient of Days Conference. Yes. And out in Roswell, New Mexico. And th- they had their, uh, this was during the, Ro- the Roswell UFO Festival, but they had the most motley crew of Christian speakers that you would never find at a traditional mainstream evangelical meeting, even a prophecy meeting or whatever. But these people were captivating, and they were sincere. They had a whole different take on God's word and prophecy and spiritual warfare. And and so it was like a new universe opened up of these people, and I could see God working through these people and big things happening. And it was a big New Age meeting, the whole UFO festival. And so this was right. like a little little eclectic group there. Uh, and uh, so, so that was one really neat experience that sort of sent me in a new tangent. Uh, but then uh, went, I went to Alex Jones's nine one one Truth Conference in Los Angeles, and uh, ironically, even though I had a security clearance and had been working for the government all these years, a couple decades, when I went to go to that meeting, I suddenly was put on the no fly list. Inexplicably. Which, uh, you know, could could have been a coincidence. I don't know, but yeah, I don't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I f- I flew with great regularity at that time, uh, probably you know almost once a week, sometimes more, 
And all of a sudden, just right at the time I went to go to that flight, they they suddenly couldn't tell me while I was on it. And uh, was this the flight to the conference? Yeah. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. And uh, so, uh, so anyway, I got to go to the press conference there, and uh, uh, Future Quake got to ask, uh, I think, the first or second question at the press conference there to uh, the nine one one guys and Alex Jones, and then heard all these new speakers, and so man, it just steamrolled on itself. And uh, you mentioned Robert Hyde, a guy who um, had a big impact on me in my younger days. Lost more or less lost contact with him for decades as I was growing up as a as a man. And then when Future Quake started, uh, his, his he came into my mind as somebody who would be ideal to appear as a guest on the show. So I invited him actually for the first show. And uh, since then, it's provided him a forum to influence other people. And it was a time of self-discovery for him, too. He went with me to the conference. And uh, more and more things started to click. We even went to a UFO crash retrieval conference. And that had all sorts of impact on our thinking. Some of it's related to supernatural UFO stuff, and some of it just general societal things. Crash uh, because it all starts ca- connecting together after a little while. Yeah, UFO Crash Retrieval Conference. Uh, it's held every fall, using Las Vegas. And um, the father and son, um, I'm trying to remember their names, that that um, we looked over the Majestic documents. Or, uh, oh, boy, I keep thinking Reed. That's not their name. Is it Shandra, possibly? Ro- no, Robert. And they're, they're big into the exopolitics community. Oh, um... Yeah, it's a fa- father and son, and they they I know you they really. Oh. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Steve, not he may have been there. Stephen Bassett. Actually, I ran into him at a United Nations and World Council of <laughs> Churches conference. I was spoke at in Montreal, and that was a whole other kettle of fish. But uh, I'll think of the guys in a minute. But they're in the center of the exopolitics thing, M- much like Mr. Bassett is too. But they had people like Nick Redford speaking there who's been on Future Quake, Linda Moulton Howe. Um, Roger Lear talked about a uh, close encounter of the fourth kind in, in uh, Brazil. That was a fab- fabulous story, man, just fascinating. Yeah, the Virginia, Virginia incident? Yeah, 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 yeah. And, uh, again, I, I just started thinking as I was doing Future Quake, what else am I going to turn up that I didn't know? And these aren't like little curiosities of history. They, they were turning points of history. A lot of information that I found. And, you know, a lot of it you find and you sort of sift it through and you're not real sure if it's real. But the, the, the stuff that remains, the stuff that appears to have hardcore data behind it, uh, that's the stuff that can be unnerving enough. And that's the whole reason why we need to be doing shows like this and, and show like Conspiracy Normal is that you know mainstream media is not going to cover this stuff. Right. Sure. And we, we've got hundreds of cable channels on cable. And they're all showing almost the same exact stuff. <laughs> it's all Jersey got, Shore. Brainless. Luke, yeah. Luke's favorite show. Hey, I you, do like. I am guilty of liking Jersey Shore. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, <laughs> is that why you had me? I remind you of Snooky. Is that what it is? <laughs> Not quite. Well, you know her babies do on December 21st, 2012. I don't know if you do that, Mike. No, I didn't know that. Well, that seals it then. The Mayans well, had predicted it. that. That's I guess <laughs> the core is yeah. going to explode or something. Yeah. Yeah. Let me ask you about uh, about UFOs and um, exactly what you believe or, or think that they may be. Well, you know, uh, 
that's an interesting question. I, I had a little bit more interest in this issue a few years ago. Sure. And I sort of had my hands full with some other stuff, more on the conspira part than the normal part, okay? Which, which by the way, I think having me on the show, you could should call it conspira abnormal <laughs> would be a more appropriate name. But, uh, but as far as the UFO issue... Um, there's too many incidents to call it all swamp gas. Yeah. Or just some kind of latest airplane flying around the people misrepresent. Uh, a couple of key shows that I thought start scratching at the surface of it was the show we had on Future Quake with Reverend Ray Boucher, who was a guy who was um, one of the top ufologists of the 90s. Uh, published hardcore journal papers, a very esteemed researcher. Uh, I found out about him uh, having Linda Moulton Howe on our show. And uh, in her book, she referred to him, and she highly praised him for his uh, accuracy and integrity. And uh, uh, when I learned more about him, I found out he was a Lutheran minister and uh, did about a year to try to find the guy because he had sort of gone deep undercover and uh, moving on with his life. And I had found out in talking to him that he had been contacted by some people in the go- in the government, supposedly, that were people that working in the intelligence and defense area, uh, very deep, DARPA kind of stuff, that had a Christian background. And what they saw that their projects were getting into with the management was something that was really dark, diabolical, and connected to the UFO issue and time portals and all this other kind of stuff. And I had him send me the documents, and when I looked at them that that these guys had given him, having worked in the government for a couple of decades, they looked spot on with what I would have anticipated. Sure. Um, He tried as best he did to confirm their credentials and things, and and he was careful not to say that he knew for sure what they said was real. He just said, here's what they said. Uh, He had experience, uh, and he, you know, he talked to these guys, and he, you know, from, so... He believed, I guess, what they were telling him was the truth. And, and he didn't use it to make money off of it. He didn't use it to promote himself. Right. He really more or less sat on the information. And uh, until was finally able, and it took me almost another six or nine months even to get him to agree to come on our show. <clears throat> and then it wasn't long after that that I found out that Nick Redfern uh, had also chased him down and had interviewed him and actually followed up on trying to find who these folks were. And uh, the reason why I'm getting it, and, and by the way, I recommend, I'm trying to remember the name of Nick Redfern's book. You can find it on our, our, our website, his show. It'll, it'll have a link to it. Um, uh, but I think it's called Final Events. Yes, that's what it's but, but that was one that uh, started putting some possible pieces of the puzzle together in that uh, there's something supernatural going on. Uh, I think it's less and less likely that it's someplace from another planet. At least something that would not have any connection to something outside the solar system. Um, I think it's probably interdimensional. And I think some people have really argued very, very accurately from science on how the phenomena happens. How it will like sort of pop into view and disappear. And the way that it moves and travels when they, they sightings. All would suggest it's an extra dimensional uh, entity. And that they have some purpose in what they're doing. And even my own research of the Bible, um, this is sort of a long story, but uh, I'll just say that what my research has shown is that the analogies to figs in the Bible 
often relate to these evil principalities and powers that have tried to usurp power on earth and have controlled things on earth and uh, they have a destiny they want to do to submit their control over humanity and uh, one day it says in the Bible that when, when things really get bad that uh, these heavenly hosts they call are going to fall from the sky like figs falling from a fig tree and in a passage Jesus talks about in the future he says when these last days first begin it says um, you will see the fig tree just starting to bloom and the, the first few early figs and you'll say you'll know that it's nigh um, and I've, I've wondered if this because this connection with the heavenly host or these spirit beings coming down and figs is, is present not only in Revelation chapter 6 but Isaiah 34 and elsewhere I've wondered if these early figs falling may be an explanation of some of these UFO sightings that uh, we have seen up to now and that actually they're sort of the scouts that are coming out ahead of time that are being seen before everything comes unglued and they just come down in mass uh, sort of like that movie War of the Worlds if you remember when they were all just coming down in large gobs yes. but uh, uh, that's that's where I think is the most likely scenario obviously some of the stuff is going to be somebody mistook an airplane or somebody had too much to drink or whatever there's going to be a whole host of those but you can't cover everything uh, and um, I have never heard any of the testimonies of anybody who's been abducted anybody who um, has had direct contact and communication anything that I would consider totally above board lack of deception uh, something benevolent uh, there was always an air of deception, not telling the full story to the people they contacted. Um, certainly nothing about what we would consider like Jesus and this kind of stuff like that. Usually it was usually it was very opposed to those kind of views. Uh, statistically, Mike, has UFO sightings, have they picked up in the last decade or so? You know, I'm the wrong guy to ask on that. I, re- I really don't know. Um, they, they usually go in waves in different places. I don't know why, but from what I've heard, and, and your co-host there is much more knowledgeable on this than I am, and maybe you are too, Luke, but uh, but I know Mexico seems like is a hotbed. Brazil is a hotbed. Brazil and Mexico yeah. are huge hotbeds. Of- and and a, in a few other places like that, um, you know, uh, Russia has just this huge stockpile of data on this that we're just now getting to, to find out about. So uh, one of the most interesting, what they call UFO flaps, where they just have a whole bunch of them in one area for some window of time. One of the most interesting ones that happened was back in 97 in Israel. And for some reason, people were seeing UFOs in Israel everywhere. And, but they weren't seeing them in the surrounding countries. They weren't seeing them in Jordan or Lebanon or Egypt, just in Israel. Right. I saw and, a couple and, of those YouTube videos. Yeah, and there's a, there's a fellow who's an investigative journalist in Israel, very famous guy, Barry Kamish, and he uh, he mostly writes about political intrigues and things like that, and, and he did a book uh, that was a real departure to this, um, where he actually did an investigation of these UFO events and talked to these people, and, and people of every kind of walk of life had had th- th- viewing these things coming down, and every one of them said that where they saw these things land they saw some kind of giants walking around and gave very detailed description of these giants and who they are. I seem to recollect 
that he actually saw footprints and things like that that were sort of consistent with this, which would fit the model that I was talking about about these principalities and powers because they have a preoccupation with Israel uh, in the area of Canaan. They did back in the days when the children of Israel came out and they had major spiritual battle with the Nephilim and things like this. So this this all makes sort of sense with where I think things are going. But do I really know for sure what's going on? Nope. But what I suggest people do is educate yourself. You know, it's like everything else in life. There, there's a lot of crises that come, and if you start to educate yourself on how to handle the crisis then, it's too late. you got to take care of it before that time. And I think we have a little bit of breathing room right now to be familiar with a lot of these things that we're not told about through other forms of media. And get information. You don't have to draw conclusions. Yeah. Gather the information. Tuck it away. And therefore, when you see stuff, you know, the Bible says in the end, the last days, it says, men's hearts will fail, will fail them for fear of what they see coming on the earth. And so, I mean, you're going to have people having widespread heart attacks and cardiac arrest from things that we can't even imagine. Right. And so it would behoove us to deal with that stuff now. And a lot of people we know say, oh, I don't want to think about that kind of stuff. You're crazy for even thinking about it. Well, you know, that's the kind of world we live in. And those are the kind of people that are going to come unglued when stuff really starts happening really bad. And they're going to rely on people like us who sort of dealt with stuff, considered the possibilities, decided what we need to do to prepare a course of action. And so I guess everybody, every listener has to decide which one do they want to be. Do they want to be somebody who collapses like Alsa Cards, or do they want to be, you know, fore, forewarned and, and have foreknowledge and prepare? Well, let me say this, Mike, that um, we were talking about on the uh, previous show, that um, you you have a lot of, like, the church seems to me not very focused on the supernatural very much anymore. And it seems a lot of it, not, this excludes the one we go to, but it a lot of it um, seems to be focused on, you know, live your, be- or live your best life now. Uh-huh. And uh, being active um, politically, but uh, spiritual stuff, it's just not there. And as I made the point in the last show, you know, that if you, if, when I read the New Testament, you know, Jesus is out there casting out demons left and right. And so people are just ignoring things like UFOs and, and Mothman and these things that could potentially be something harmful to them. You know, uh, kind of sets a dangerous precedent in my mind. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I'm often accused that I'm too harsh in my criticism of the organized church. And I do it as somebody who is very, very much involved in organized church. I'm involved in the same local fellowship that you're involved in, Adam, and, and very active participating and being about the work that I think God would have us to do. And so I obviously believe that it's something innately good as far as an institution to to do God's work. However, uh, it is worthwhile to be honest with ourselves about its shortcomings. So having established that, I think you're absolutely right. And I think there there are some, and and again, I'm I'm broad-brushing here and talking about maybe the bulk of some things, given that we have fellowships everywhere that if you look long and hard, you're going to find not perfect ones, but some good ones. You can find some people that, you know, you, you can at least generally see eye to eye with and do something constructive for God with. But there's a lot of them out there that their only interest in supernatural 
and it, it may not be conscious but subconscious, is the kind of stuff that they can exploit or, or make some hay out of. Sure. If they've got healings, if they've got things like that that draw a crowd, uh, things that make people more prosperous or this or that or better, that fills seats. Yeah, so therefore, been exposed to that. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and uh, so they're gonna you know push that kind of thing. Um, some of the stuff that you're talking about uh, in spiritual warfare is things that makes people uneasy, and if anything, sometimes people can pay the price for standing up spiritually on things. They can actually, uh, you know, be oppressed in certain ways and other kind of things for not ignoring the darkness but confronting it. And so that doesn't appeal to the masses. Uh, It doesn't make for lucrative churches. Therefore, it's going to be a very, very special fellowship of people who feel called to do that. But I think that's the right course of action. Right. And, uh, you know, the Apostle Paul, he was right in the middle of fighting all that kind of stuff. And he suffered terribly. I mean, he, he, uh, <clears throat> in fact, in fact, the Lord prophesied that he would suffer greatly for his name. And, of course, he was beaten up and had all sorts of things happen to him and stoned and this and that. And uh, even Peter, uh, Jesus said that Satan would sift him like wheat. Now, that doesn't mean that he was not in, in Jesus' safe, protective hands. But when you're going to go step into the fray, you just got to be prepared. And uh, I know that would tend to have a lot of people say, well, hey, I don't want to even get into that mess. I'd like to just be involved where everything's calm and easy and feeling good. Read my, and, read my Joel Osteen books. <laughs> yeah, but the, but the thing is, you, you finish a life like that, and you go into the next life, and where's your fruit? Where's the stuff, you know, when they, ha- they have the uh, what the Bible calls the beam of judgment, when they, they run all your works on, the, you know, gold, silver, or wood, hay, and stubble. When they run that stuff through, and you don't have anything showing because you played it safe your whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you're probably not going to be hanging out with Jesus as much because Jesus doesn't hang out where it's safe. He always is out on the edge. Yeah. And so in the spirit struggle for spirit stuff, there's a, there's a gentleman who's like sort of pegs the meter in this kind of activity. His name's Russ Dizdar. And uh, probably somebody you should have on your oh, show. Oh, yeah, definitely want to get Russ on the show. Uh, sure. Because he, he sort of does the extreme battle in that, and he has paid the price for it. People around him, his family's paid the price, just people that know him. And he is the first person that would tell you that if you confront these kind of powers, they're going to try to clobber you. But the fact is, their biggest their biggest weapon is fear. Because they're very limited in what they can do. Their, their most effective things they can do is to scare us. Uh, they can uh, get us all worried uh, we can even exaggerate what they've done or what they may do. And uh, while we need to be very sober thinking and recognize the, the power that they do have to cause us frustration and anguish and things like that, uh, we don't want to diminish the power that we have uh, at our disposal to deal with them. And uh, that was that was bought at the cross. And that was something that you know, we, we weren't just given a life of prosperity. We were given something much better. It was... Uh, you know, where the gates of hell will not prevail against us. And so it, that's only useful if we go out and use it. It's You could have the best tool in the world and never take it out of the toolbox. So, um, you know, lo- long story short, yeah, the supernatural world is important. The church needs to be aware of it. The The other risk is that you get obsessed with it. Yeah. And that's wrong, that's wrong too. Uh, it's got to be in its proper place. Uh, 
a lot of times the most important things a Christian community does are some of the most mundane things, like go feed the poor or go visit people in the hospital and are in prison. And that doesn't seem real exciting, like casting out demons. But you you got to do the other stuff so that when the time comes when the demons has got to get out, you, you, you're you're sort of up to speed on that other kind of stuff, and then the Lord will empower you to do the, do that. So, um, well, let me continue with the supernatural a little bit longer. Um, one of the things that I think that um, you know about UFOs and those things um, that people often experience the occupant uh, the UFOs, and it seems to me more like an altered state of consciousness than it is like a real experience. Right. Yeah. Not to make it even, you know, not to denigrate it, because I think that actually is a real experience, but, you know, under the uh, scientific materialism that would not be considered it's, real. Everything from the dream world is just as real as this reality. Right. And, and I think that goes into another um, thing you have studied as a real Renaissance man of the role that drugs play, especially a drug called ayahuasca in these spiritual experiences. Did you go into that a little bit? Yeah. Um, yeah, this was something, when I started looking into it, I really didn't know hardly anything about it. I mean, I grew up in a culture where we didn't drink, smoke, cuss, or chew, or run around with those who do. So, <laughs> you know, root beer is about the strongest thing that I had exposure to. So, right. uh, <clears throat> so yeah, exactly. And so, uh, when I started looking into some of this kind of stuff, and and things started to click. And, you know, a lot of it was just sort of spinning off of things that would trigger from one guest to the next. But but certain things going on in our head that basically could not be explained away by hallucination. Your mind tricking you. Uh, and the whole issue with this ayahuasca material is something that uh, really is best known from the shamans of Central and South America that uh, actually would take certain natural ingredients and mix them in unexpected ways and put together some material that you would uh, consume um, that would trigger experiences that just weren't delusional hallucinations. Uh, some of the ones that really caught my ear that I've read about, and they've been talked about in, I think, uh, National Geographic and several places, uh, where people will have collective visions. In other words, they'll be in a group and they'll, all of them will see the same serpent coiling around them or other kind of creatures that they see there. And everyone that uh, has been interviewed on this stuff, even those that have used other pretty hard drugs in the past, has said this stuff is nothing like those. That's unique. Definitely. That this that this is something that it is a, you can tell it's a real reality. There's a book called DMT, The Spirit Drug by Dr. Rick Strassman. Uh, that uh, we covered. He was supposed to be on our show, sort of backed out, I think, when he saw our inclinations. But he uh, he he was did probably the only government-funded clinical trial study out in New Mexico, University of New Mexico, on DMT, which is the active ingredient understood to be in ayahuasca, where he actually administered it, um, I, I believe, uh, intravenously. And usually within a couple of seconds... I mean, literally that fast, people would enter into another, whole other dimensional world where they saw different creatures. Many of them consistently said were just like abduction experiences. The same kind of creatures that are talked about in abductions. And, and 
more frighteningly, they had experienced as much like abductions where they were tied down, had probes put in them. Some of them were raped by insectoid-type creatures, had other horrific things. It was so bad that they had to form a support group for people afterwards that were traumatized by their experience. Sounds like a wonderful experience. Yeah, I don't know why people wouldn't want it. And uh, However, like doesn't surprise me, this is just like the abductions, uh, there were some people who almost got addicted to it because somehow they felt special. And, and the ones who did repeat uh, instances, they said it was fascinating because when they went back and took it a second time, the, the the same creatures were there waiting and could say what was going on while they were gone. There, there was no loss of time. They could tell that time had passed. They sort of picked up whatever they were about to do. And uh, this was just sort of, sort of a consistent process. But um, this whole idea of the, the pineal gland being the part right in the center of the brain that stimulates this activity and uh, a whole bunch of different people have said this is this is where the action is going on for this is right there and particularly with this dmt chemical uh you're right it's been known throughout the ancients as the third eye even hitler thought that that was what was going to create the fourth reich was when mankind had their pineal glands opened um that's a whole uh, other story have there you, have you ever heard of uh, the fluoride actually calcifying the pineal gland that that's right uh in fact that's why it'll show up on x-rays of older people mm-hmm. is because it will actually calcify now the question comes what does that do to it and i'm not really sure uh how that changes how its functionality is it reduces but, the uh, output of melatonin or serotonin mm-hmm. yeah well i can tell you what given that our government's putting in the water I presume it's not something good for us. <laughs> From everything else I know, I can pretty much guarantee that that was not an accident. But what, what's fascinating is that the body produces in the in its digestive system um, monoamine oxidase, uh, MAO, and this stuff sort of neutralizes the DMT. I think it's dimethyltryptamine and breaks it down uh, where it really doesn't have this kind of effect in the pineal gland. And so... You have to do something to inhibit that MAO to really get the maximum effect. And that appears to be what the key is in the ingredients of ayahuasca. Ayahuasca has not only the DMT, but uh, a lot of these uh, inhibitors. And now we have uh, pharmaceutical drugs, uh, MAOI, MAOI uh, inhibitors, that actually will do the same kind of thing, that will maximize it. Uh, now we have a church that has started. I think it's called something like Santo Daime or something like that. Uh, out of Central America that's now in America where uh, ayahuasca consumption is considered a sacrament and is now part of the worship experience itself. But um, basically what's happened is mankind has opened doors that they have absolutely no idea what they're doing and getting into. And uh, we we broke the atom, we invented dynamite, we did all these other kind of things not having a clue what it was going to do. And just think of the havoc we've wreaked with them. But we ain't seen nothing yet until we open ourselves up to dimensions that we're uh, we're in a knife fight without a knife, basically. Just and, share. Oh, sorry. Yeah, and so, uh, it, and, and that's why, in, and I've written about this before, um, there, there was something that happened in the, in the Bible talking about the Garden of Eden. Uh, in the Garden, uh, mankind had total unfettered access, apparently, to God. And communion with God, which is a great thing. 
But it also seems to show that they also had the same with Satan. And were interacting regularly with them. And as the story goes, things didn't turn out so good. Um, there was terrible things that happened, not only between them and the spirit powers, but between each other. And uh, it says that, that uh, uh, not only were they taken out of the garden where things like the Tree of Life were, which would have cemented, if they had taken of that, it would have cemented their eternal state and a lost state if they had taken of it in immortality. But it says that there was an angel placed there, uh, cherubim, and it said there was a, a sword that would sway to and fro, a flaming sword. And uh, that's sort of a bizarre thing. I don't know of any corollary in the Bible that no, suggests what that is. And it, this was brought up in a um, in a guest, an interview I had, where he had mentioned something about a word that was also in that. And so uh, later I did a, uh, a book chapter for a book called um, Pandemonium's Engine that actually um, discussed what the me- real meaning was with these words. And as it turns out, the most common use of those words where it says that are actually have a much, much deeper meaning. And I think it relates to what this whole uh, uh, role of ayahuasca and sorcery is. The the word flaming, uh, where it talks about the flaming sword, lahat, I believe is a Hebrew word. It normally means to hide or to, or to use occult and magical arts. In fact, the only other place where that word is used is in the passage where the Egyptian sorcerers come up and throw their, their, their stakes down and make them snakes. Interesting. Where it was some kind of hidden, dark, occult power that was involved. And the and the sword that's mentioned there, it's kareb. Uh, it often means an actual sword, like you know. But it often and more regularly means, means um, tools for cutting stones. Like masonry tools, basically, are what they are. And to hew stones and things like this, which is very ironic because uh, when altars were built for God, they were not allowed to use hewn stones. These kind of tools would actually pollute the offering that was given back to God. And then the the the, the last term where it talks about where it turns each way is a word called called hefak, which means in its normal sense translation is to transform oneself, to degenerate. Or to turn perverse. And this is the kind of uh, term. That that actual word is used in passages. Where Moses turned a rod into a snake. Or where he turned the Nile into blood. Or even when it says when King Saul transformed. And it said it turned him into another man. Uh, these are all kind of things. It's almost like a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde kind of transformation. Something perverse changing. And so when you put these words back together in their normal state. It gives you a picture that, that, that God may have actually placed something more of a mystical, hidden barrier uh, that actually is trying to keep this transformation from occurring and that is trying to block these tools and, and interest at their masonry tools for all the, the mystical uh, uh, view of the Freemasons, of their tools uh, of trade that they use. And, and they're supposed to transform society and themselves with these tools. Uh, that that these tools of transformation and polluting of natural things, like polluting these stones, um, would be a way to get back into the garden and to get back to the tree of life and to tr- and to transform oneself. And if we remember the the curse that happened because of this eating of the tree of knowledge, good and evil, and obtaining this knowledge. Um, 
the, the woman, Eve, her reproductive cycle was cursed. It was cursed in pain and a memory uh, of what she did could have a potential impact to her reproductive activity, which was a precious capability that mankind had that the principalities and powers didn't possess, but they wanted. Mm. And so there's this constant connection to our uniqueness of reproduction, reproducing our own kind, and even replenishing the earth, and basically expanding our influence indefinitely, which the principalities and powers, no matter how powerful and abundant they were, had no ability, at least naturally, to do that. So I, I believe that there was a, and, and, and this MAO, MAOI in our gut may be part of that flaming sword that God put in us at that time to try to block that unfettered access without being done in a responsible manner. Now, as it turns out, one of the things that will simulate that same effect of reducing MAO is fasting. Fasting will actually drop it. Yes. And as we know in in, in the Bible, uh, prayer and fasting together are recommended together when you really, really got to have an, a meaning, meaningful incident with God. When you need to hear from him, when it needs to be clear. Uh, and it just so happens that you do something that reduces your MAO to be able to hear him. But it's done with prayer. It's done with focused communication directly to God. It's, it's not just a, a blind stroll off the beaten path, walking through the field, wondering what kind of bandits you're going to run into. Because that's what the people with ayahuasca are doing. They're running into spiritual bandits and having their way with them because they're not staying on a very careful highway in what they're doing. So that's what sorcery, I think, is all about. Sorcery is basically using some kind of artificial means by which to alter people's reality. And in the old days, it used to be, it, it took roots and berries and the things that witches used to be able to, to create that. You know, they used the, uh, the nightshade and henbane and these kind of things. Um, these days, we have new technology that does the same thing. We have um, electronic uh, low-frequency low signals that can mess with people's minds. We have the regular alpha waves out of our TV sets. Uh, we have... Just even regular old psychology uh, is all forms of sorcery to manipulate people and to alter the reality of the way they understand things are. And it's all meant to subjugate and often without even our knowledge. Yes. And that's why we need to be knowledgeable of these things. We can't ignore them. And well, we can, but at our own peril. If we ignore them, we don't study and talk about these things and and become prepared. It scares some people that are relatively timid and they don't want to think about it. But there has to be brave people amongst us in our communities that are willing to look into these doors, be aware, be aware of the dangers, and uh, just be informed. Well, Mike, I think this goes right into also um, another question that I want to ask you about um, because the idea of man becoming God is actually something that is really... Um, kind of in the in the discourse now uh, with the idea of transhumanism, uh, Ray Kurzweil and others talking about the singularity, and um, you have actually written in the Pandemonium's Engine book in, in your chapter about Nimrod and how he was the first kind of genetically enhanced super soldier, and just uh, g- general, um, what do you feel about transhumanism? Um, what do you feel like the meaning of that is for the future? Mm-hmm. 
Well, you know, in that chapter you cited in that book, and if anybody wants it, I still have some copies left. If you go to the front of futurequake.com, you can click on there on the left-hand side, and I'll be sure and get one out to you if you're interested. It's got a lot of other better authors, too. It's an anthology. I think 13 or 14 authors wrote in it. But, um, uh, yeah, what I wrote about was a little speculative because um, sure. we had a guest on uh, who's very knowledgeable, studies the area, who, who had pointed out that where it says that he became a Gaborim or a mighty man, which is often translated like Nephilim, was that uh, was that he somehow transformed in his life during his lifetime, which seemed a little crazy to me. I mean, I, I mean, I didn't say that, but just as a little bit of a stretch for me, until I looked at those words, and then I started seeing that the the word uh, where he changed Kalal, I believe, was also meaning things like receiving a mortal head wound, and that this mortal head wound, which if anybody who studies prophecy knows. That, that something clicks in their head with uh, the mortal headwind of the Antichrist one day. Uh, but what I had not considered before was that these kind of things alluded to in the Bible could be alluding to a, a intentional transformational process. Because Nimrod, when he was on this earth and he became this uh, dying and rising god that was sacrificed by, by the other gods, I mean small d divinities, um, when that happened, his priests were actually known as the Cyclops. What we know as the single-eyed monsters were originally in, in the legends and mythology, the priests of Nimrod. And what they did was they would actually put out one of their eyes and somehow it helped facilitate opening their third eye in their forehead. So it was really a spiritual kind of meta, uh, metaphorical thing, but but it responded with them taking this kind of dire measure to be able to do this. And uh, so... Uh, looking at the future, when when we we have an attitude and intention of making ourselves gods, and we now have technology where people even are so audacious to think that they could extend our life indefinitely, either by slowing down or stopping cell uh, degeneration, uh, or just simply being able to download our minds and putting into another set of bodies. Right, that's what Ray Kurzweil wants to do. He wants to yeah fix himself. And and then he he also wants to re like re like reanimate his father as an AI. Yeah. Well, basically, what we become then is just software. And uh, which you know, I guess it's not all wrong. Or you can look at our spirits that way. But they just keep replacing hardware, and they just keep updating it to the next the next thing. The what, what the 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 folly of it when you think about it is that in the state that we are in right now particularly just morally, let's just look at our more. would we want the state that we are in morally as a society to be perpetuated indefinitely? Uh, is, is this something that, uh, uh, think of all the tensions we have in the world and the depravity and things like this. Uh, we, we want this state to be a permanent one. Uh, you know, and I know they think that if we get more knowledge, just merely if we live longer, somehow that we will become more virtuous uh, that somehow will become more flexible with other people. But if you really think about what would happen in a world like this where people could live indefinitely, think about the overpopulation that would eventually happen. Right. Well, I think, the, though, too, I don't know that would be a problem because I think that, I mean, who is actually going to receive those? I don't think it's going to be, you know, Joe Bob, yeah. Joe Bob Sixpack. Yeah, it's going to be the elite is going to receive exactly, that. Exactly, that's what I was going to say. Well, yeah, now they like will the say Sardaz. that. 
Yeah. Well, they'll say that in a few places if you know where to go look where they'll confess that. Right. But the general public's not aware of that. Uh, all they see is that all these things they're doing can, can cure Hodgkin's disease or Parkinson's or things like this. Good and they're Yeah. So, you know, what's the downside of that? So they, they're, they're not been briefed on sort of what they're seeing their end game is. And it always becomes a form of elitism. And they just have more technological tools now. If you look back in the early uh, 20th century, you had guys like Aldous Huxley and some of his peers that were doing these same kind of plans, uh, like they talk about in Brave New World, but they were just going to keep society drugged. And they were just going to be the oligarchs, the elites that actually ran things. And they said people will love their, their subjugation. They will actually... Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but, I mean, they literally said that, and they just said that boldly, that, you know, H.G. Wells was in on this, too. That they they will love their, their masters and their cage that they're in, and so they can psychologically change what they're in. And this gets back uh, to a passage that I picked as sort of the theme of Future Quake. Uh, anybody can read it, go into Revelation 18, uh, verses 3 and 23. I'm going to read it off my Future Quake poster here in the office. It says... The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, that being the great city Babylon, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich, for by thy sorceries were all nations deceived. And so we see even back then, and this is shown to be sort of a, almost a, you know, an eternal or, or long-lasting coalition between the kings of the earth, those people in power, and the economic powerhouses. And the merchants of the earth, actually the Greek means the international merchants. Uh, and it says together, and they're conspired together, it says they use sorcery. And the word there is used is pharmakia, which we get pharmacy or drugs from. But it says by their sorceries, all nations were deceived. And so they're deceived in the wars that we have and the artificial enemies we make. They're deceived in the food that they give us, the, the pink slime that they put on our plate to eat, the genetically modified food, the fluoride in the water. The sloppy joes. Yeah. Oh no! Don't say sloppy joes. Oh my goodness! <laughs> I will, I will lose one of the good things in life. I look forward to if that. I... Some of us are broke. <laughs> yeah. That I guess, I guess that means manwich and all the above. Then, spam. huh? That's... <laughs> no telling what that is. Well, spam's like sort of a chimera of meat, you know. <laughs> uh, but uh, so you know, th- this is this is the world we're in. And, uh, you know, it goes back to, like, the Matrix movie. You know, people saw the red or blue pill. Which one do you want to take? They they were tapping into something that was uh, already talked about in the Bible, that this is what it was. It was a form of sorcery. Deception was the norm of all the nations. And uh, there is information available. Even if you just take something old and reliable like the Bible, it will tell you enough that you'll understand what our governments are up to. And what our industries are up to. Uh, but there's been other people since then have done wonderful work. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners are going to hear that on Conspiracy Normal. Yes. Where they're going to hear more about what's going on. And they they keep inventing new things to do. You know, they get busted on one thing or another. I, that's why I've got all this bad respiratory stuff right now. I mean, just deep stuff in my chest. And um, a lot of people are saying it's the stuff that they're spraying in the air. The contrails. Which sounds really conspiratorial and crazy. Until you get information leaked out in dribs and drabs from the government, no less, that does talk about certain things that they're spraying. Well, hey, the we've actually been doing it for a while now. Yeah. 
But but you know you'll sound crazy, and then even to other people, and even when you find some information to prove it, they don't want to believe it. Pe- people just don't want to know, and and sometimes the government will send disinformation to make fools of some of us, and and they do that too to discredit us. Oh, uh, so you want to detail a little bit of, about exactly what's in the chem spray. You know, that's another one of those areas, Luke. That uh, I wish I could find something. I'm a good expert for you on this show uh, for you. Um, I've heard everything from barium to uh, oh, what is Adam? Help me here. I know you've probably. I, I know that too. they talk about uh, Morgellons disease, and that's something that is yeah. yet to be accepted by the medical establishment. But I've heard um, things about Morgellons disease that it's actually linked to chemtrails. That people have been. You know, where they break out and they have right. these tendrils well, that on their skin. You know, it could be. I've heard that, too. It's just that I haven't seen that disease as widespreadly reported. Sure. It was going for a lot, and then I don't hear much, which may be on purpose. I don't know. But uh, um, but a lot of upper respiratory problems. Actually, when I worked at the back of the military at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, which, which by the way, I, I uh, worked at Hangar 18 for a while. Which was sort of a famous hanger for the UFO thing. With the uh, you worked with the aliens. Well, actually, it's so funny. Uh, I found online somewhere a diagram of a building that had an underground vault, where they showed where the aliens were, and that's actually where my wife worked for a while. <laughs> so it got me really thinking a lot. But but uh, I can remember there were some inquiries coming in because I worked uh, part of the propulsion laboratory too, and people were asking questions about it, and finally. The Air Force kept laughing enough where they had to actually try to come up with some kind of answer. And they, they tried to dismiss it, but there are additives being added into the fuel itself um, that create some of these weird compounds. Uh, most of it that, that I'm familiar with is either barium or some kind of heavy metals. Uh, and the other thing that I've heard reported is that sometimes it will it will sort of crystallize or form into some kind of like... A, wispy gooey kind of stuff almost like silly string mm-hmm. and actually a guy that i worked with back in dayton ohio there by the base uh he was there at like super bowl sunday night with his brother and they went and looked outside and saw the crisscrossing in the sky going on and suddenly they saw that stuff falling down all over their car all all over everything and uh one of them went to pick it up and it sort of dissolved in his hands so, um, and this is somebody you know I trusted uh, that said this. So, um, I don't know a whole lot more details. I'd have to go back and do some research because actually I've not even done a show on it and had to do the research. But um, there's been too many people see it, notice it, you know, right. to, to to know otherwise. And and people have speculated: Are they trying to inoculate us from some disease? Are they trying to protect us from some chemical attack or biological attack? Of somebody, what are they doing? Does it, you know, fuel, that assumes they're benevolent. Does it help the fuel efficiency in any way, or or the the cleanliness of you know the process of running running the fuel through the engine? I mean, well, I'm I'm speaking on on just a memory here, so you have to bear with me on on this. But I I seem to remember there's an additive. Seems like it started with an E, like a acronym that that was mostly for pollution purposes. It was to stop the. Uh, uh, additives and pollutants that went out, particularly things like nitrous oxides and stuff that are thought to be global warming and this kind of thing. Right. And uh, they're always adding stuff like that to fuels all the time, uh, particularly for aircraft and to to get certain behaviors. Um, 
they're they're trying to use new stuff so they can let aircraft engines run hotter and it won't break down the fuel and so they're they're always putting something in them all the time i've I've had some congestion here lately too and i've just been kind of blaming it on the pollen i have like a bradford pear in the front yard and uh yeah i wake up coughing a lot in the morning and um someone suggested to me that it could have been chemtrails and uh you know and i, I i'm kind of new to the, all of that you know i didn't know anything about it before so right yeah, I don't. I don't know. I, I think I've had a really bad attack of just a lot of uh, stuff collected in my my upper respiratory area, lower throat, uh, since probably like June of last year, mm-hmm. and it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And medication doesn't seem to help, and things like this. Uh, it could be that uh, you know we're becoming uh, that the the stuff that we have drugs are being less effective. Uh, the stuff's getting stronger. You know that that's addressing this and things like that, and so I guess all we can do is really try to do our best to boost our own immunity. But uh, mine's never been too hot to begin with, so. Well, um, Doctor Preacher, we're kind of coming to the end here, but I did want to run another uh, question by you. Um, all right. This is something that we can have you on about, but maybe just a little teaser. All right. Um, you are uh, currently um, working on a project. And you have entitled it Holy War. And just um, to ask, basically, what what is Holy War? Um, and what, is the, what is that about? Okay. You know, it's about a topic that I've been really fixated on for like the last couple of years. And uh, some of my friends think, why am I making such a big deal about it? Um but I think the consequences are going to be really big for our society unless some of us start speaking up about it. And it relates to this tension that's going on in America between the Christian and Muslim communities and um, this escalation, and I'm particularly from the Christian side, uh, with all the groups fighting Sharia law. And right here where I live here in the Nashville area, is sort of ground zero for the battle. Yes. And Tennessee is Tennessee is known for being a very, very friendly area. Uh, anybody I know that's moved here, find them to be just very kind, friendly, you know, probably the friendlier side of Southern living, I think, is here. But for some reason, uh, particularly down south of here, Murfreesboro, uh, where they've got an Islamic center, things are getting really dark. And it's getting ugly, and you're hearing the kind of things that, Almost like you would have heard a crystal knock or shortly before that, you know, in Nazi Germany and stuff. The language, the rhetoric, I mean, they've resorted to vandalizing these centers and things. And people are in such a paranoia. And I don't know if it's so much the average person that's not, you know, involved in the religious community. But in, in, and certainly not in all our churches, but in some of them, at least the higher profile ones, they are really beating the war drums really hard and building a lot of paranoia and suspicion and I started a process of just opening some doors and looking at the background of these people and I I was able to start doing things like looking up their IRS forms finding (laughs) out who's on their board of directors who was funding and that's something everybody in our audience ought to do if you watch cable news if you watch any of these kind of things where people are telling you radio what the reality is just start asking the question, who is paying them? Um, I, I don't know what kind of huge salaries you two guys are getting or who's paying for it for Conspiranormal. 
But uh, I assume you all have some billionaire behind you running it. Oh, yeah, uh, of course. But uh, if, if, if you don't, then you're like me, and you're just talking, trying to find the truth and trying to find answers. Um, but that's not true for your most lucrative, popular mainstream media. They are the mouthpieces of the people who pay their bills. And if you go watch two talking heads talking, debating an issue, both of those groups are not expressing their personal opinions, their representatives. They're doing it for whoever the billionaire was that's paying for their institute. And this is what we're told is reality all the time. And what I'm finding on this is that we're getting some some religious leaders that are just getting hardcore fascist, where they're wanting to restart a... A, a new uh, crusade where they're actually dressing up in crusader robes and swords. And these are people who are famous household name people. And I, I name names in this book and show the people the funding. We have foreign governments uh, that I've been able to find that are funding some Just, of these groups. One of those guys is currently running for president right now. Well, that's exactly right. And a couple of the other guys already have close ties to them as well. But um, they have foreign governments that are receiving money to try to encourage us to go fight wars that are not our battles on their behalf, and, and lots of money's changing hands. And all this stuff is completely against the teaching of Jesus. I, any kind of average person, whether they're spiritual enough, could look at it and recognize something is sick and not right. Uh, but more so people of faith have a responsibility to be leaders in society, to blow the whistle when things get crazy. And that's what I'm trying to do in Holy War. Yeah, I did a little litmus test. I gave a, a talk last year in Branson. You were there. And uh, it was under difficult circumstances. It was a million degrees in the room, and it, I, I went long. It was standing room only in there, too. But, uh, yeah, even swooning room only. It was so hot. But, <laughs> uh, but you know, you could sort of see a little bit of shock in people's eyes with some of the quotes, some of the information I have. And, and again, some people think that, you know, as a as a Christian, I shouldn't be talking about other Christian people, leaders, and they're doing stuff like this. But uh, Jesus always, you know, was the truth. He's the truth in the life. And uh, if you seek the truth, you'll go to him. And uh, we don't know these people. I mean, I, I can't speak for their spiritual condition. But we do know the Bible says that tares are sown amongst the wheat. And I'm not going to say somebody's a tear or not a tail, tear, but uh, you could certainly have your suspicions. And at least take take your marching orders from the Bible and not from these people. So it's a it's a it's a very lengthy tome of just laying out all this information uh, of a very orderly plan to try to get us in a really hot war battle, another crusade with the Muslim community. Um, of course, there's some issues with terrorism and things like that. But I get into this book. Uh, going back in uh, what the real history is of terrorism in the Middle East, mm-hmm. some of the people who we think are the, the the terrible Muslim terrorists are people in disguise. They're people that we thought were our friends that are acting as Muslim terrorists. Um, or just created or, by intelligence services to begin with. The intelligence services actually have created some of these terrorist organizations, and that's some of the deep secret that most of the American public doesn't know about. And so... All all that is covered uh, in the tome, and uh, I look forward to talking about it, but I'm working feverishly on it. In fact, this week, um, granted, part of a chapter has been uh, drafted. So my goal is to get this thing to a publisher and, and maybe hopefully get it out the door by the end of this calendar year. Time will tell, because I'm finding so much new information and developments that I have to add to the text that uh, it's hard to sort of cut off the database. 
because it's changing it. Once you know the places to look online for data and information, it's it's a new development every day. Oh, I'm sure. Well, um, good luck with that endeavor. Thank sure. you. Um, we definitely want to have you back on when that gets published and that's out. All right. Go All some right. more depth, um, especially about a certain uh, secret society that I'll oh, oh, with. Oh, yeah. Yeah, truth is stranger than fiction. Absolutely. You'll find out when you look at this stuff. And that mean, that makes you wonder what else don't we know, you know? Yes. If if we can find out this stuff, there's and that's what Conspiracy Normal is going to do, I hope. I hope start so. turning over some of those rocks and find out what's going on. Uh, what's what's on Luke's mind over there before we say goodbye? Um, yeah, I, I look forward to having you back on the show again and just uh, kind of going in more depth about some of the topics that you talked about. I definitely have a lot of questions, and it's, uh, some of the things that you mentioned were just very enlightening. You know, especially about the ayahuasca stuff. Well, um, do y'all have any, what kind of plans do you all have for the show here in the days ahead? Well, what we're going to do um, next week, the next show, we are going to have a another special guest who's actually going to be in studio. Wow, he's going to talk about some um, his out of body experiences, for lack of a better term. And really, he's a very interesting person that Luke and I both know, yeah. and that you've actually met at uh, one point. He's a great guy, and uh, it, he's going to come in and talk about that. This is not Joel Osteen, is it? No, it's not Joel Osteen. Okay. Um, in fact, this person will prefers to be probably will have a code name when you when you hear him. But uh, yeah. and then um, that's silly. I can't stand people that have silly names on the radio. We're gonna talk about <laughs> we're gonna talk about uh, later on uh, probably the next show. Talk about some false flag terror. Yep. Something we kind of barely touched on tonight. What are you telling me that? These terrorist events are not just what our government tells us. Uh, is that what you're trying I to tell know. me? I, I believe everything that uh, Fox News tells me. <laughs> you you better believe it. But, Go back to uh, sleep. And after that, we'll have a... Supposedly, we're going to have a very special guest, either in studio or on the phone. And someone you may know, a guy named Tom Bionic. I don't know if you know him or not. Uh, I disavow any knowledge of <laughs> I have plausible deniability. He's got to Tom, Tom Bionic. He's, as you know, he is a expert on false flag terror, especially Operation Gladio. Yeah. And I uh, want to have we'll talk about that. You better do a six-hour show. And then hopefully you, get it, into some supernatural stuff after that. If you think I'm verbose, wait till you get Tom Bionic going on false flag terror. You get get you some comfy shoes to wear is all I got yeah, to some say. Some coffee, probably. Popcorn. <laughs> yeah, yeah, put a pot on the stove. want to have your, uh, your, your, your mentor, um, Mr. Hyde, on, so... Yeah, well, I can't wait for that. This this is gonna this is gonna be great. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Doctor Future. Yeah. Hey, I got one last question sure. for you. What what what's the nickname you have for your listeners to Conspiracy Normal? What are they? Called? I don't know yet. Either Muggles or the Mob. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I thought if it's Conspiracy Normal, like you know, you'd have to Conspiracy Regulars conspira or something normal like that. Conspiracy Normal Lights. I don't know. We'll yeah. add an eye on there, like a hit top How about, or something. How about normaloids? Normaloids? Yeah. <laughs> See, these are the things I focused on on Future Quake. I didn't have time for research, but trying to get a name for our listeners, that's the important thing. I got thing. it. Feeders. <laughs> the feet. How, useless eaters. Wasn't that what uh, I think, uh, oh, what was his name? Uh, 
the the German uh, Secretary of State. Oh, uh, Henry Kissinger. Henry Kissinger. Yeah, I don't want to blank on him. That's what he called us useless eaters. <laughs> oh. What's well, up? guys, it's been a, it's been a pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to have you on. And um, we want to thank everybody for listening. And um, if you are interested in uh, Doctor Future and the Future Quake Show, you go to www.futurequake.com. Um, there may be a new show at some point. Who knows? But uh, there's 300 shows there to listen to. So go check it out, and you will see where a lot of my ideas come from. And until next time, Luke, is there anything you want to add? We'll call it a night. I think that'll do her. All right, that'll do her. All right, everybody. Have a good night, and uh, we'll see you next time on the Wall. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line 
prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. 